You're listening to Speaking of Stories, a podcast where authors meet to talk about themselves, their books, and their view of different parts of life and society. In this episode, we'll hear from Jan-Philipp Sentke, a former journalist from Germany, nowadays full-time author, known for his The Art of Hearing Heartbeats novels, which brings the readers to Burma and covers topics such as love, mystery, history and culture. When I traveled the world, I used to be asked about Hitler, then about Franz Beckenbauer and Gerd Müller, later <laughs> then Klinsmann and Mercedes and Porsche. And Elin Olofsson, also a former journalist, Elin's books take place in Jämtland, Sweden, which is also where Elin herself lives. With her novels, Elin Olofsson presents life in a small town, including love, drama and mystery that can be found when you look a bit closer. But he kept saying this, remember my name, David, 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 and I thought, well, that uh, might be a person in a book one day. You're listening to Speaking of Stories. I'm Jan-Philipp Zentka. And I'm Elin Olofsson. Chapter 1. Elin presents a new improved German stereotype and Jean-Philippe explains why a certain self-control app saved him. Yeah, I'm I'm Jan-Philippe Zentka, a novelist. I have written five novels now. Two have been published in Swedish. The third one will come out next year. And I live in Potsdam, close to Berlin. And usually my day starts early, get the kids ready for school and then... I start writing around nine, always listen to classical music. I take a break around noon. Uh, I like to exercise, go swimming, and then I get some more work done in the afternoon. But I just finished another novel, so I'm free now. It's a huge relief. We come out in Germany in the fall, and now I'm here, happy to be in Stockholm to promote uh, my second Burma novel, which just came out in Swedish, and I cannot pronounce it in Swedish, unfortunately. In English it's called A Well-Tempered Heart. Hjärtats innersta röst. Hjärtats innersta röst. Excellent. <laughs> My name is Elin Olofsson and I have written three novels. Uh, då tänker jag på Sigrid till Flickorna är skön and the most recent one, Gånglåt. And uh, my three novels takes place in Jämtland, where I live and where I'm from. I'm here in Stockholm and it's the second day. I'm enjoying my time. We had a very nice breakfast this morning with lots of people, lots of young women, which made me very happy because my 19-year-old son claims that the only people who come to my events are women above 80. And I should have taken a picture and showed it to him that he is absolutely wrong about that. Have you met any nice readers then in Stockholm? Yes, yes, actually. And and I like meeting my readers. It's, I do a lot of events uh, in, in Germany, but also in, in the UK or in America. went to Israel, Italy, and it's always some... I know that some authors don't like it, but uh, for me it's, it's a great pleasure because writing is so lonely. You spend a year or two or three behind your desk and imagining a world and exploring and but it's lonely i love it but still lonely and then the book is out and you go out and and you meet the people who read your books and and are touched or moved by them so for me it's it's a great pleasure how do you feel about it for me as well i'm quite a shy person but then again i think readers are often very nice people and they tell you not only what they thought about your books or or your writing, but also stories from their own life or experiences or places they have lived in or things like that. And I think that's very rewarding in a way, uh, being a writer and getting 
told all these stories. Yeah, no, I feel very grateful because I mean, there are so many books out there. They can read any books, or they can do something else instead of reading, and that they take the time to read the book and enter a world I, I created, I feel extremely grateful, actually. So you're back in Germany and Potsdam, where you live. Can you tell us a little bit about Potsdam and Berlin? Yeah. Yeah, we lived in America for eight years and then in Asia for four years, and it was not easy to come back. Um, I could have stayed in America or in Asia, actually, but then we had the two kids, you know, getting older, getting to school and And we didn't feel comfortable putting them into a school in America. And so we moved back and I, I'm from Hamburg. And my wife is from Berlin. She wanted to move back to her hometown and I, you know, didn't mind. So we moved to Berlin, lived there for a few years, but then moved to Potsdam. And that's really a small town, 150,000 people right next to Berlin, almost like a suburb. And that I have best of both worlds. I can go to Berlin by subway, it takes 25 minutes. And there's a lot of things happening in Berlin. Mm, but I have the quiet life in Potsdam, which is really nice, slow. There are lots of lakes and parks. and So it's a, it's a beautiful, it's good for the eye. It's, it's a beautiful city. And yeah, that's why I spend it good for the kids. Uh, a good place to grow up. And in Berlin, you can, if you ask me for like an advice, what do you do in Berlin? I would just, what I do wherever I go, just walk around and have an open open eyes, open ears, open mind and just watch people, observe people, sit down and uh, relax. Do you think you will be staying in Potsdam or do, would you like to move somewhere else? It's a good question. Um, I, you, you could move me tomorrow, basically. If you tell me, you know, you move to Los Angeles tomorrow, you know, where are the suitcases? Um, New York or Asia. But with the family, with kids, now we have another daughter, she, she is, Teresa's only four, so they don't like to be moved so much. And my wife has a good job in Potsdam. I, I travel to Asia, I travel to America a lot, so that's, that's fine. But if it were just up to me, uh, I, would, I would move more, yeah. So if I ask you what you think uh, when you think about Swedes, what would you say then? Oh, I would say they are all incredibly good-looking, smart, funny, hardworking, and uh, they will have a great taste in books. <laughs> How about you? What would you say if, I, if you think about a German? Well, I think uh, the stereotype, at least, is that Germans are well-organized with very uh, precise timetables and, and plans. Uh, and I guess uh, right now we think of Angela Merkel, uh, which might be the best known German at the time. And I think we, in Sweden, we think about her almost as some sort of mother figure of, of Europe or the European Union right mm -hmm. now. Wow, that's that's a good, that's a nice change because when I traveled the world, I used to be, you know, ask about Hitler, uh, then about uh, Franz Beckenbauer and Gerd Müller, later <laughs> then Klinsmann and Mercedes and Porsche, and now Angela Merkel. I think that's really, we have made some progress. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's changed these recent years. Do you still follow like news and stuff when you're writing a book or do you only concentrate on the book writing. Ah, I see I'm talking to a writer <laughs> because that's one of the most sensitive points. Uh, it's really hard not to, I mean, I'm, I have the computer I write and uh, I discovered something, it's, it's like a, an app or so 
It's called self-control. And you have the same thing, self-control? <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> it's per it saved me. It, it's really without self-control, I wouldn't be able to write books anymore because it takes your computer offline. You can uh, say, you know, for an hour or for two or for five, whatever, and then you're offline. And the, the, it's so tempting to, to distract yourself by checking out whatever, you know, the news, you go on the news site or you go wherever. Sometimes I check out the bestseller list in Sweden, for instance, <laughs> when I really feel depressed for the last year. <laughs> Every time I, I just thought, oh, nobody is going to read my new book and nobody is interested in what I'm doing. Then I just checked the Swedish bestseller list and I saw my book was on <laughs> the number one spot and it made me feel better. And <laughs> I kept yeah. writing. And then you write better for a while, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> yeah, that's true. But the self-control thing really helps because then there's no I mean if I want to distract myself I have to get up and go to the kitchen or talk to my dog or whatever but um, otherwise if you're Uh, if, you, if I don't have the self-control it's so easy just you push two buttons and you are in a different world and uh, I found it incredibly distracting this the internet mm -hmm. sometimes I read reviews online you know I go to Amazon or Sometimes my son, if he wants to annoy me, he reads all the one-star reviews out loud to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Which are hilarious. No, I love it. I love it. It's a few can be so harsh. And sometimes I would love to have the address so that I can send them their money back. Because, I mean, if they if they say my book is the best sleeping pill ever, you know, I, I feel sorry for them. You know, they wasted 10 euros or whatever on this book. And so <laughs> I would love to send you another one. Maybe you like it better. <laughs> Chapter 2. Writing about your hometown versus a town far, far away. What is your relationship to Burma? Burma, I, I went there because I was a journalist uh, working for a German magazine. I was based in, in New York as a correspondent and then I got transferred to Hong Kong to mm -hmm. be the Asia correspondent. And it's an, it's an interesting story because I was on the flight from New York to Hong Kong to open up our office there and I was thinking about what am I going to do as the Asia correspondent, certainly stories in China and, you know, Japan. And then I had almost like an inner voice telling me, you have to go to Burma. And I didn't even know where this place was. I checked, I was flying on Singapore Airlines. I checked out the, the, the booklet there the, uh, and, you know, read the world map. Where actually is this Burma? Ah, Thailand, India, there's Burma. And I wanted to go to Burma. I don't know why. Mm. And in those days, nobody went to Burma, uh, no no uh, business people, no tourists. And I called my, my editor in Hamburg, Stern, and said, you know, I would like to go to Burma. And he said, but what are you going to do there? There's no story. I said, I don't know. I will know when I go there. <laughs> and he liked me so much. And after a while, he said, okay, you know, go for a week and check out. Maybe you come back with a story. And that's why I went to Burma for the first time in May 1995. And then you have uh, written several uh, stories uh, that takes place in Burma. Yes, two two books now and there will be a third one. I mean, this is a trilogy because the third book has kind of an open ending and I really would like to know how the story with Julian Tata continues and the only way to find out is to, to write it. Is it important that it is in Burma, this story? Yes, techniques? absolutely. I think the Burma, in, in my case, is not just an exotic setting, but it's really part of the story. The you know spirituality of the country, the culture, the people, the, um, the way of thinking, it's, it's all part of the story. I think this couldn't take place any, anywhere else. How about you? 
No, because I've been thinking the same way. I've written three novels, and all three of these novels takes place in Jämtland, in mm-hmm. uh, the north part of Sweden, where I live and where I'm from. And it's important to me to write about people in Jämtland in my books and writing about their lives and their love affairs and disappointments and sorrows and everything. Because I think it's important to write about life at the Swedish countryside, which mm-hmm. Jämtland is, mm-hmm. and making making it clear almost that these lives, they are as dramatic and, and interesting as the lives in, in Stockholm, for instance, mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. or in big cities. Mm-hmm. And you, you don't have the feeling that you are too close to the events, to the people, because sometimes the distance helps to see things more clear and more precise. Well, I was a bit worried about that, I think, in the beginning, uh, maybe writing my first novel especially. But now I've almost uh, rethought that uh, fear or or feeling, I think. I, I think it's a good thing living there and still being able to try to write the true story mm-hmm. <laughs> about, about these people that I'm writing about. Sometimes I hear, of course, from, from uh, readers in Jämtland or from my neighbors or, or people I meet uh, that, uh, oh, you've taken our stories or they yes. think, you know, <laughs> when, when they're speaking to, to a writer or a novelist, they think that everything they tell me will end up yeah. in a book <laughs> immediately. But I have a distance uh, as well to Jämtland and to, to uh, the stories, I think, mm. and to the surroundings. Mm-hmm. But how do people feel about it that they know you write about them? Are they little, I don't know, do they worry? or do they keep their distance or do they tell you, you know, but you don't you don't mention this in a novel or, you know, it would be... Yeah, but I think, well, some people are proud uh, mm-hmm. even though it's uh, quite uh, dramatic and, and tragic stories uh, in these books. I think some people are proud that I write about Jämtland and the people there and the, the experiences that we have. Of course, people also uh, sometimes uh, make it very clear that this this mustn't end up in a book or don't listen to this. <laughs> I'm, just, mm-hmm. I'm just telling this to someone else, not you. You're the writer. You may want to use this, but mm-hmm. you're not allowed. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I would. I, I do need the distance. I mean, that's why all my novels... The, uh, the Tun Burma novels, and I've written three novels, they are set in China. It's kind of a China trilogy. And I need the distance uh, to, to explore, uh, which, of course, is there are lots of traps because I am not Chinese, I'm not Burmese. So in order to create authentic, believable Burmese or Chinese characters, it requires a lot of uh, research into facts, for instance, mm-hmm. and they want to create a believable character and he grew up in the 70s in China. I don't know what kind of music they listened to, what kind of candies they liked or how their daily life uh, was looking like. So I do have to do a lot of research, a lot of traveling, spending time there, which is very expensive. So not easy, but uh, it helps me actually, I think, uh, to write about what I want to write about. 
So you mentioned you were a journalist and you wanted to go to Burma. Can you tell me a bit more about your life as a journalist? Yeah, it, journalism was a big detour for me, a wonderful, worthwhile detour. But I have always wanted to be a novelist, even as a 13-year-old. My mom once showed me an essay I wrote as a 13-year-old in school, what we would like to do when we are grown-ups. And I guess most of my classmates wrote, I don't know, detective or dentist or football player. And I wrote novelist. And then I had graduated from school and my parents asked me what I would like to study. And I said, I don't want to study. And they asked me, but what would you like to do now? I said, write books. And I remember how my father looked at me and said, but about what? <laughs> <laughs> so I realized maybe at the age of 20, I was a little too young to write about love and life. Maybe get a life first and suffer your first love. So I became a journalist and it was really a tremendous, wonderful detour. I worked for Stern and was based in New York and Hong Kong. But I think there wasn't a single day in my life as a journalist where I didn't think that my dream was writing novels. I have to try it one day. Otherwise, I would tell my grandchildren that, you know, their grandfather would have been a famous novelist if he, have ever, if he had ever tried. Unfortunately, he was too busy. So we saved money. I was well paid, but we never spent that much. And I took three sabbatical years, unpaid leave. And we had a tight budget calculated for every month how much we had for the three Uh, years and then we lived in upstate New York in a small uh, cottage and I wrote my first novel The Art of Hearing Heartbeats and uh, that was yeah my dream came true but at the beginning it didn't sell that well so I had to go back to Stern and work there for three more years I was very unhappy and, and I'm not good at suffering unfortunately or fortunately so I have to change things if I don't you know if I'm not well I quit my job as a journalist and now I'm a full-time writer And you are still working as a journalist? No, not really uh, nowadays. But I did uh, work as a journalist for quite some time. Uh, but I think I, I recognized uh, this this dream. I've also had the, the dream of writing uh, fiction and writing books all my life. But I didn't know how to become a novelist. I thought, I mean, journalists, uh, I could imagine sort of what a journalist <laughs> did. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, I read newspapers, of course, and I had a sort of knowledge about, I think, what, mm. what journalists did. But I didn't really see how, how one starts to write books. I didn't know about it, no, really. And I, I tried to tell myself for quite some time that I've killed off the dream of writing books almost. But then I I came in some sort of identity crisis and, and thought I, I would like to have made one one serious attempt to write a book. Um, mm -hmm. And it became my, my first uh, novel, uh, mm -hmm. which was published. And I, now I've written three books, so I guess... And you're a full-time writer. <laughs> uh, it, well, yes, now mm -hmm. I am. Mm -hmm. Which is, uh, of course, everything I, I dreamt about. <laughs> mm -hmm. And how, did, how does your journalism or your career in journalism, your experience, affect your writing? Do you think there's a connection? I think there's a connection, because you get uh, quite good at... Uh, listening to people, how they speak, what they say, what they don't say, how they sound when they're lying to you. And I think I use that in my books. I uh, uh, think it's very important to, to make 
people in the books talk like real people uh, and lie like real people, uh, for instance. So I think that's uh, something I've learned as a journalist to, to really listen and then try to write uh, about people and their mm-hmm. thoughts and, and opinions as, as mm-hmm. true as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Same here think that you know having been a journalist really helped me doing the research i have to do for my books and really you are if you're a good journalist you're a keen observer and you see people and uh, uh, that is yeah was a great great help for me chapter three Elin tells about a certain phone call she received one day and the authors tackle the very big topic love Would you like to start? Why do you write about love? <laughs> I mean, basically almost every book ever written is about love, right? I mean, that's that's the most important force in our life. And I think uh, nowadays it's even more important because we live in difficult times. And there's a lot of cruelty. There's there a lot of wars. There's a lot of suffering um, in the world. And I think to remind people that there is a force in life in every single human being, which is a positive force and it's basically the strongest force ever and that's called love so that um, i think it's really important especially today uh, nowadays to to remind people and i think maybe that's why these books are so find so many readers because people want need to be reminded that there is that the most powerful force is, is a positive force and not a dark negative one yeah i do agree uh, looking upon love as a force uh, which makes us move or stay or scream or smile uh, in different times in our lives and and it's affecting everyone's life Uh, even the lack of love is is great uh, effect or an impact on a human life, and I think also love do explain a lot <laughs> mm-hmm. why people act the way they do or or say the things they they say. And I'm not writing about happy love in particular, mm-hmm. but then again, writing about. Happy love would be a very short book, I guess. Would almost be a postcard. <laughs> <laughs> so I I write a lot about unhappy love with hope. Still, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. there is hope in love, and that's why I think all stories, as you said, are some some way made up of love. Mm-hmm. I mean, all music as well, or all. Whatever mm-hmm. drama mm-hmm. evolving love. I mean, if if you want to take it like a, a philosophical terms, love or passion or desire, those are not the same things. And and I think that's what Tinwin and Mimi experience. And maybe because there are lots of love stories out there, uh, many, many, many just love stories, not books about love, but love stories. And if you only think like the other Frank Hartbeats and the second one as well, a well-tempered art are just love story i think they are more and they remind people in not not of passion or desire that's part of it but at the core it they read about people who take the other person um more seriously um than themselves they are they are you know they put the other person ahead of themselves and i think that's a sign of true love when it's not about you it's about the other person 
And that's what Mimi and Tinwin do, and that's what uh, Julia and Tata experience in the second book. Yeah, and also I thought about this love in different uh, sorts of relationships that you can still love uh, somebody uh, like like Julia, for instance, your daughter. Mm. Not uh, you don't have to love her less because you love someone else mm-hmm. in a different part of the world, for mm-hmm. instance, mm-hmm. which I thought was very. Interesting to mm-hmm. read about mm-hmm. uh, p- because we sometimes have this image of, of love only being like two two grown-ups, mm-hmm. often a woman and a man, mm-hmm. and finding happy love. But mm-hmm. love can be a lot of things in, in everyone's life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what Julia learns, which I think is really an uh, important lesson, that usually we, th- we, we, also, we only see love when somebody loves us the way we love. And uh, if somebody loves a different way, we, we don't, very often we don't recognize it or we don't accept it. So there are many, many different ways of loving and expressing love and, and so on. And to, to understand that, I think it's, it's very important. I get my inspiration to my stories from, from all kinds of, of places and conversations. And uh, a salesman uh, called me on my phone wanting to discuss my, my phone subscription. But he, he, had, he had a very special voice. He sounded like almost like snow melting and, and turning into spring floods. And then he kept saying, uh, my name is David, please remember my name is David. And I thought that was a bit odd, but he he wanted me to, to contact him directly, not the company, if I had any sort of question about anything at all concerning my phone in the future. But I thought, because he was asking me, what, what do you do? Uh, what do you work with? What do you do in this company <laughs> that you have? And I tried to explain, like, I, I write, I write books. and But he didn't quite get it, I think. But he kept saying this, I mean, remember my name, uh, uh, David, David, David. And I thought, well, that uh, might be a person in a book one day, someone saying, please remember me, please remember me, please remember me. It was quite an inspirational call, after all. And have you put him into one of your novels? He might uh, turn up oh, later. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. I, I find my inspiration when I when I travel uh, and and meet the people. I mean, that's that's part of the inspiration. The other thing is just inside me. And sometimes people ask me if I'm afraid of running out of stories, and and uh, never, never ever. I think I'm I'm afraid of getting uh, too old to put the stories on paper. Uh, but uh, no, I think my fantasy is uh, in that sense limitless. So tell me, what are you doing now after that we leave the studio? Oh, I have lunch and then I have an interview with uh, a journalist and this afternoon we have a reading at um, Akademik Bookhandeln or something. And uh, tomorrow we have another two events at bookstores in Uppsala. And tomorrow afternoon I have to leave, unfortunately, but um, I go to New York which is nice. I have good friends there and uh, I have to meet my publishers and talk about uh, the next books and I'll be back in Berlin with my family uh, next Friday. How about you? Well, I will uh, leave Stockholm again and going back to Östersund this afternoon and then I will be traveling uh, these uh, upcoming weeks and talking about Gånglåt in quite a lot of places in Sweden. 
That was all from this episode of Speaking of Stories. I'm Jan Philip Zentka. And I'm Elin Olofsson. You've been listening to Speaking of Stories. You can hear all of our episodes on iTunes or via Acast. 